0: As many of you know, for the past couple weeks, you've been praying for me as I go to a conference in New Mexico. I just wanted to thank everybody for your prayers. Uh, it was a very good time. got a chance to visit with a lot of people and uh, I was telling somebody it was maybe one of the, the better conferences I've ever been to in my life. It was just very encouraging, uh, focused on the Lord, focused on the Word, uh, uh, really set uh Really was a great time just to, it was like a chiropractic uh, visit, just kind of set things right and and make sure that my hope and focus is on Jesus. So um, I'm so excited about the conference and everything I learned in the conference. I've just decided for the next 10 hours to share everything I've learned. There will be a quick break, 20 minute break in the middle, but you're here. No, I'm joking. Uh, Let's go ahead, let's pray, and then we'll uh, continue in Proverbs uh, 21. Thank you so much, dear Heavenly Father, for who you are, for revealing yourself to us, for uh, giving us your word and giving us brothers and sisters that we can uh, enjoy and that we can fellowship with and we can... uh, encourage one another, challenge one another to live more and more for you. We ask that as we open up your word and we look into the text, that your spirit would be moving, causing us to see those hidden sins uh, that we need to repent of, giving us uh, insight into your character and your will. And Father, that through this text, we would uh, be reminded of many things that will help us Live for your son Jesus. We're so very thankful for everything you've given us in your son's name. Amen. So I uh, was, w- went to New Mexico. Uh, a lot of, they call it the land of enchantment. There's a lot of things that are there, a lot of folklore that's there, and I am a sucker for folklore. I did not get a chance to go to Roswell, though I wanted to. They say there's aliens there. I wanted to see for myself. No, I love myths, I love folklore, uh, I'm a sucker for Bigfoot, anything Bigfoot I'm going to buy. I have a section in my office of just Bigfoot stories, right, that's it. Not that I believe that Bigfoot exists, I actually think the people who tell stories about Bigfoot are far more interesting than Bigfoot himself, right. I, I, just, I just love it. I, I'm also a sucker for treasure stories, right, people looking for treasure, right, right. There's some hidden pirate treasure over there. I'm a sucker for watching people do that. I'm not going to do that myself, but um, I think it's really fun when I watch other people do that. It's incredible how much time they'll spend looking for something that may or may not exist in hopes of getting this incredible reward, seeking and searching and sweating. And a lot of times, they come up short. They come up way short. They don't find a the thing they're looking for. This morning in this text in Proverbs 21, 21 we're going to talk about a search and the reward is going to be incredible it's one of those rewards like a pirate treasure where you would go that would be really cool if one could get that but sometimes we think that those stuff that type of stuff is beyond our grasp i'm going to be honest Uh, this this is one of those treasures that if you look for with all of your heart and you search you will get this reward. You, if you seek, you will find these things. This is not one of those casual searches, by the way. This is uh, in-depth search. This is hard work search. This is lifelong search. But the treasure is there, and it's worth the search. So this morning, turn with me to Proverbs 21. 21. It's going to see two things from this text, right? The first clause is going to have its own point. The second clause is going to have its own point. So the first clause is talking about seeking, pursuit, the search. Solomon outlines two things that we should search for. Righteousness and kindness. Then the second clause is what we'll find as we search for these things. So the first part, the search. The second part is what we'll find. Now... I am probably going to go over some things that we talked about last week. That's okay. Remember, I didn't get a chance to finish all that I needed to say last week. We're going to go over some of that stuff again. As Paul says, it's no problem for me to say these things again, and it's probably no problem for me to say these things again. And again, no. These are very important truths that we need to have in our minds. These are these are these are like bedrock truths, right? They're truths that everything else is built upon, and so we have to have a a firm grasp of these particular truths because these are the most important truths. And some of these truths are those truths that we die upon, right? They're the hills that we die upon. So let's let's start just first in. Proverbs 21, 21. And just notice the first part, the first part of this verse. It says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and hope. So the first word here is pursue. The word for pursue, as we talked about last week, is this idea of going after, following after, hunting after, uh, has the idea of having a specific goal in mind a specific thing that you're trying to ascertain okay it, it's very definite right it's right in your mind you know exactly what you're going for and it has the idea of a constant pursuit an intentional pursuit this isn't one of those things that you're just going to walk by and go well if i if i find something it'll be great I was at a gift shop in New Mexico looking for jewelry for my wife. I didn't know what I was looking for, and if I casually bump into something, that'll be great. That's not this word. This word is, I know specifically what I'm looking for, and I'm, and I'm willing to go to great lengths to get it. Okay, that's the idea of pursuing here. Pursuing, and, and so the question is, what is the wise person pursuing? Remember, in this grand scheme of chapter 21... The, the, the idea is, is that Solomon is comparing and contrasting the, ri- the wise and the foolish. And he's saying this is what the wise person looks like. This is what a foolish person looks like. The hope is that as we study this, we'll say, I want to be wise. And I'm going to do the things that wise people do. These, I, I want that in my life. And so you're going to start pursuing those things. Okay? And so here, that, that's exactly what Solomon is saying. A wise person pursues, and notice the two things he pursues. The first thing is righteousness. We have a tendency, I kind of shared this last week, we kind of have a tendency when thinking of this word righteousness, of it only referring to behavior, right? So it would be easy to read this and go pursue righteousness. That means to pursue, to do something right, right? Like I'm, I'm learning how to do what's right. That's what I'm concerned about is the right way of living, And that's what we're concerned about. And I'm sure Solomon has that in his mind. But as I shared last week, this concept of righteousness in the Bible is far more profound than just basically a list of what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Starting from the very beginning in the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, it's very clear from Abraham to the end that it's by faith that one is declared righteous. Right? Remember that when it, in talking about Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The, the prophets say a similar thing. Habakkuk, remember what Habakkuk says. The righteous shall live by faith. This, this is a theme that I think Jesus taught. This is what Paul teaches in his books and specifically in the book of Romans. It's this idea that in the book of Romans that no one is righteous. There's not one righteous We're all separated from God. We don't do anything right. In fact, he even quotes from Ecclesiastes. There is none righteous, no, not one. And because we're not righteous, we fall short of God's glory. Right? That's what he means. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, we're not right with him because we ourselves are not righteous. So the question is, how does one become righteous? Paul explores that in the book of Romans. There are some who believe that what you have to do is you have to start just being right, start doing righteous things. And by doing righteous things, you will become righteous. It's impossible. It's impossible. There will never be a way that you could do enough righteous things that you will be looked at as righteous because your heart isn't righteous, right? And Paul very clearly from the book of Romans and other places speaks of this idea that if one places their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. God looks at you on the basis of faith and says, that one is righteous. Now it goes deeper than that. Not only are you declared righteous instantaneously, but you are then imputed with the righteousness of Christ, meaning you are given Christ's righteousness. Righteousness. So you are not only declared righteous, but then God looks at you through the righteousness of Christ. Now for us as believers in the New Testament, this is an incredible truth I'm righteous that's it I'm righteous. there's really nothing more I can I should do or nothing less that I do I'm righteous. I, I stand righteous because of what Christ has done for me and I stand before him and therefore there's now no condemnation i will I'll never Fear condemnation. I'm declared righteous and I will be righteous. And, that's, and it's by his power that I'm secured to have this eternal life, right? I will go into the next life where I will actually be righteous. But there's this part in the middle. And this, this is where the, it becomes very important for us. There's this part in the middle be, between when we place our faith in Christ and we're declared righteous... And that time when we go to be with the Lord, when we'll have that be like Jesus and be perfected, okay? And there's this time in the middle that, where a lot of us are, right? We're right in that middle sweet spot. So what do we do now? Because I'm declared righteous, I'm given the righteousness of Christ, and yet I still sin, right? I'm, I'm in this place where I am declared righteous, but yet I still do bad things. So, so what do we call this? Well, Paul describes this as a battle between the flesh. There's that part of whatever that flesh is that's left over that that wants us to sin. And then there's there's then this indwelling Holy Spirit that he gives us, the third member of the Trinity, indwells us and empowers us. And as he empowers us, righteous activity happens, right? As I step out in faith, he empowers me to do what he's asking me to do. Right? We talked about this in the book of Galatians, where we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, Right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's righteousness. That's, what, that's what's a product of, of this new birth that we have in Christ. So then the question then becomes, what does it mean for a believer today, not necessarily an Old Testament saint, because for them, the answer would be a little bit different, Right? For them to be righteous, there's a different set of house rules for them. They would have to go to the temple. They would have to sacrifice. They would have to do all these things, right? So for them, it would look a little bit different. What does it look like for us under different house rules after the time that Christ has come? What does that mean for us to pursue righteousness? For me, I think it's clear. I think, one, there's this constant reminding of myself that I am imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Reminding myself that I've been declared righteous. That's a really important thing. To remember God's grace in declaring me righteous and imputing that. And to grow in my knowledge of what does that mean? What what does that mean? What, What does God's grace mean towards me that he's declared me righteous? And as being declared righteous, that means I'm dead to sin. Exploring that, spending time in Scripture, studying the book of Romans to, to really understand what God means. I think that's part of the pursuit, right? To, to never say, I've done this for me. But, but, but to sit there and go, what, is, what has God done for me? What does what this righteousness of Christ look like? What does this, de, this declaration mean for me in my life? Then I would say this pursuit of righteousness would be that ethical Following God's law, following God's will. To pursue righteousness is to pursue God's will, doing what God wants. God in numerous places tells us explicitly what he wants from us in our life. There's numerous places. I'd just like to show you a couple where the Bible says this is God's will. So if you're wondering what God's will is for you this afternoon as you walk out, I want to show you, right, right? I can't tell you what the future holds. I can't do that, but I can tell, definitely tell you what he wants you to do. So let's just start in Romans 12. Romans 12, and notice in verse 1 what he says, Romans 12, 1, He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. It's a little bit different than how we normally talk to each other about how we should present our bodies. Sometimes we talk to each other. Uh, I want you to present your bodies based off of if you don't do it, you're going to be in trouble, <laughs> right? Here, Paul is reminding us that we are to think about God's grace and His mercy, and and that the result of understanding His grace and His mercy, understanding specifically this truth that I'm declared righteous at the moment of of faith, thinking of that and thinking of that seriously. There's, a, there's something that, that should switch in my mind. So therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, considering all that's happened to me in Christ, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, we've already discussed some of these adjectives, but, but let, let's just look at them one more time. It, to present your body means to go before, to say, I'm, I'm here, use me. Right? So the idea is that I'm saying to God, here I am. Here I am. Use me. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And notice, notice the description of this. It is living. In the Old Testament, you would give a sacrifice one time. It would be a sheep, he would die, that's it. The sacrifice. The believer, it's not. The believer is this constant attitude of I'm going to be obedient now. What do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do now? Our life is not one sacrifice. But the believer's life is an ongoing sacrifice, saying I'm giving up of myself, of my time, and of my resources to do what you want me to do. That's this type of sacrifice. It's ongoing. It's living. Then notice the next thing. It's holy. This means that it's dedicated to God. So many times, so many times I find myself living for myself, right? Very selfish. I, I want this. I want to do this. I, I want this thing to happen, and it's all about what I want. It's all about my goals. It's about my, my purposes and my plans. That's not, that's not what he wants, nor is it that he wants me just to, for me to, 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 to share my plans with everybody and say, okay, this is my plan, and I'm just going to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of it, right? So I really just want to, I've heard some people say this, I want to to have a coffee shop. There's nothing wrong with owning a coffee shop. I love coffee shops. But then they say, but I want to do a coffee shop ministry to Mormons. Now, if you know anything about Mormons, they don't drink caffeine. Seems like a very strange ministry to go to some place where they don't do that thing and say, we're going to do a coffee shop for you. Seems like a very strange ministry to me. And it sounds like they just want to run a coffee shop but sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of it so that they can do something and then go back and say, look, I'm living for the Lord because of this. That's not how this works. It's We start from the scriptures first. And we say, what does God actually want? Right? And we start there and move on. Now, let's say, let's say that you start here. And let's say that you want to live for the Lord. And, and let's say that you want to go to a place and you want, to, you want to share the gospel with people in that place. And you say, you know what would be a really good thing? Just to be a business owner, a Christian business owner. And I'll do coffee. I'll do a coffee shop and be a Christian in that community running a coffee shop that honors and glorifies the Lord. And as I'm doing that, I'm going to share with people. That is far better That that, that procedure is far better in honoring to the Lord, right? You see the difference? One starts off by saying, I want to do what I want to do, and and then I'll add Jesus to it. The other one starts with, Jesus, what's the most important things? Okay, now based off of that, then I'm just going to live, and I'm going to do it for your honor and for your glory, right? There's a slight difference there. So it's holy. It starts. It's for God. It's dedicated for him, and then it's acceptable to God, meaning I, I figure out what he thinks is right and wrong, and I do it according to that. That's my sacrifice. It's living, it's holy, and it's acceptable, right? And then he says, this is your spiritual worship. This is what it is. This is what worship looks like. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that would be the scriptures, right? So don't conform to the cultures, the ideals of the cultures, the the way of thinking as the culture around you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern, notice this, what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, the question would be, well, how would I know what that is? He just told you by the mercies of God to present yourself as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice, and it's in that process of saying, I'm going to present myself as this. And that through discernment, then I'll be able to say, well, this is exactly what the Lord would have for me. There's another passage. Go with me to First Thessalonians. Here's another one. First 1 Thessalonians 4.1. It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. See this? Continue to walk for Jesus, continue to follow Jesus, continue to to do things that are pleasing for the Lord, And, and Paul's saying you've done that, grow in that, And he says, just as we've taught you, and then he says, This is the will of God. You ready? Your sanctification. You want to know what God's will is? For you to lead a life that's becoming more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. That's God's will. Now, whether that what that looks like in everybody's life might be a little bit different. Some of us have bosses, some of us are retired. Some of us do lots of have lots of different hobbies. But the the goal is sanctification, right? becoming holy, spending time in the word, spending time yielding to the power of the spirit, spending time in fellowship with other believers. This would even include talking to others about Jesus, whether they're believers or not. This This is God's will for you right now. But specifically for Paul, notice what he then says next. I think this is important. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passions of lust like Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, I solemnly warned you. God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you So notice it's the will of God that we're sanctified, we live for him, that's opposed to living for ourselves. And Paul, in talking about living for oneself, this this absolute pleasure-seeking lifestyle and self-centeredness, he he uses this example of sexual immorality and just going after the pleasures of the flesh. That's what it's opposed to. So this is the will of God. There's there's another one. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There you go. That's God's will. So, so pursuing righteousness, pursuing that, doing what the Lord wants you to do, seeking the will of God and doing the will of God, that pursuit of righteousness, that's what it's going to look like, right? There, there's a couple other passages that we could turn to. There's one in Peter that talks about yielding to uh, government officials. That's God's will. There's another one where Paul talks about helping others and giving to others in need. That's God's will. Here in this text, it talks about this being controlled by the Spirit right this is god's will as we saw sanctification is god's will worship is god's will all of these things are what god wants you to do on an ongoing basis and this is what it looks like to pursue righteousness and this is what it looks like right so that's the first thing we are to pursue is righteousness let's go back to proverbs 21 Notice the next thing that we're to pursue. So the first one is righteousness. That, that is something that a wise person does. You should do that. And then notice the next one, it's kindness. Remember last week I talked about this word kindness. It, it, it really means uh, a loyal love. It's the Hebrew word hased. It speaks of being devoted to someone. It talks about a covenantal love. Uh, it's used most often in a, in a marriage relationship, right? as you as you make this vow to each other before God and, and as you you stay together in that marriage that, that that would be what the the Hebrew would call the Hesed right this covenantal love this this ongoing love it speaks of faithfulness but it also speaks of affection right devotion and kindness right it, it's those types of things it's not just it's not just sticking it out It's a sticking it out with affection and kindness. So if righteousness then is dealing with God, our relationship with God, then we could say easily that this has said, yes, of course, we are to be faithful to the Lord. No doubt that there's some idea here of being faithful to to the Lord Jesus Christ. We definitely need that, don't we? We definitely need now more than ever believers who will stand on the truth of the word and not move. That's, that's what we need, right? There needs to be this fidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrines of truth. Because a time will come when our culture will be very much against us, more than they are now. And we can't stop it. As much as we would like to think that we could stop it, we can't. Nor do I think Jesus is asking us to stop it. What Jesus is asking us to do is to stay faithful to him, live for him. Stand firm on the doctrine, on the truth of the word, right? Don't get tempted to leave. Stay true to the text. Stay true to Jesus. That's what he's asking us. The temptation will be for us to leave him, to supplement him with someone else. That will be the temptation. The temptation will be you're not really loving by taking a biblical position. We need to stay true to the word. We need to have that holy stubbornness right? So no doubt this talks about fidelity to God, but it also would talk about our love for one another, right? This this dedication to one another that we, that as Romans 14, 19 says, that we pursue those things that make for peace and for mutual edification. Really, every time we get together, we should have that, right? We should have that policy of I want everyone to be edified. I want to be at peace with all people. And, and if there is a riff, the responsibility is on you to try to solve that riff. We really should have inside of a church, and I think we do, but there's always room to grow, we should have this policy. No one should stand in a corner by themselves. Right? We should come here to minister. You want to know a you want to have a ministry? Come to church. And say to people, how can I pray for you? And how can I encourage you in the Lord this week? And seek that out. That, that, that's, that's what we should be doing. What should we do with those who don't know Jesus? Well, we should seek for peace and building them up. Well, how do we do that? By talking about Jesus. Right? By showing that we care. Right? First Thessalonians 5 says this. See that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone? What does it look like to pursue love? That I'm not going to repay you with evil. You might do something to hurt me. You might speak behind my back. You might spread a nasty rumor about Pastor Caleb. What 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 should what should a goal be for Pastor Caleb? It shouldn't be to stand behind the pulpit and let everybody know nasty rumors about you. It should be what? To, see, to not repay evil for evil, but to show forgiveness, love, right? To speak to them as Christ. That's what should happen, right? That, that my goal, my goal is that everyone becomes more and more like Christ, right? Not, not to try to hurt them, or, or try to, try to uh, uh, pull one up on top of them. I'll be honest, this past week, Um, one of my good friends got nominated for a position in the the national office for the IFCA. It's a great honor. And i got to be honest with you. I got done preaching a sermon last week about love and how we need to love, and it came in handy because the first thing that happened when my friend got nominated was, why not me? I've been in this group just as long as he has. I'm just as faithful as he is. And I went back to my room and said, Caleb, who do you think you are? <laughs> that you should be so upset that your good friend got nominated for this incredible position. How dare you? You should be his enthusiastic cheerleader. I had to go through that, that repent. I, I had to look at 1 Corinthians 13. And you, you know what? It, it was really good. I, I went back for the vote, enthusiastically voted for him. And guess what? He didn't win. But I was there to encourage him, right? If I would have been the other way, if I would have went in going, how come not me? And then when he lost, would have said, serves you right. There's somebody better. No, that's not a brotherly position. The brotherly position is, hey, isn't this great you got nominated? I'm behind you. I'm for you. I, I want you to live for Jesus. That's really, man, that, that's a... This really stinks that you didn't get it, right? Weep with those who weep, and cry with and and uh, laugh with those who laugh, right? That that's that's the type of attitude we should have. Then I had a whole new set of things. Then it was the enemy number one was the guy who got the spot instead of my friend, right? Who does he think he is? Got to do the whole process all over again, right? I illustrate that to say it's really easy to not love people biblically. It's really easy to do that. Here Solomon is calling us back to doing that type of thing and not living in a way that's having bitterness, but yielding to the power of the Spirit, loving one another as Christ would love, right? Seeking for the good of others. Now, now this is the seeking. Now, the question is, what will happen? What will we find? Well, let's go back to Proverbs 21, 21. Notice the second thing. He says, we will find... We'll find the thing that we've been searching for, the, the thing that we've been seeking for, we will ascertain it, right? We will attain it. And notice, notice there's a little bit more than, than, than righteousness and love. You would say, well, if I'm seeking love and I'm seeking righteousness, I, I think I'll find that back. But it, it's, it's as everything with the Lord, you, he gives you more than what you're looking for. And he does it in such a spectacular way that only he's the one that can get the credit for it in the beginning. So we pursue, and then look what the Lord rewards. The first is life. Now, first in the book of Proverbs, we've got to remember that life includes personal life, right? Because there's been a lot of times that we've talked about those who were criminals who might lose their life because of their criminal activity being judged. So, so there's this idea of you will live, right? Right? The principle is, if you do what's right, God will honor that. It's not always the case. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are doing what's right, and they're being persecuted for doing what's right. But the principle is, you do what's right, and God honors that, right? And so this idea is you'll have life. Obviously, you'll have life within a community, right? If you're the jerk of the neighborhood, there's not going to be a lot of people that want to hang around with you. Right? So the idea is that you will have life within the community. But it is almost impossible to read this without thinking of this idea of, I will have this vibrant spiritual life and walk with the Lord, right? If I'm pursuing God and I'm pursuing love, what will be the result? A vibrant life in all facets. It's not a life that is diminished. Seeking a righteous life does not leave you as a prude dressed in mute colors. And you will be standing in the back of the room and you will just suck all the fun out of the party. That no one will want to be around you because you're going to be that guy. No, it's the opposite. Your life is going to grow in love and mercy and grace. You're going to invest in people's lives and you're going to see them grow. And there's going to be this great, incredible joy of watching people walk for the Lord. And you're going to say, "I thank you, Lord, that you, had, that you allowed me to have a part in that. You're going to have life that's full of investing in people's lives and a vibrant walk with the Lord because you know him. That, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be this vibrant life and this vibrant spiritual life. It's far from boring. And it's far from the, the killjoy in the back of the room. It's the type of person that points everyone to Jesus and is excited when people are living for Jesus. It's the type of life that's heartbroken whenever you see somebody that's not living for Jesus. And you pray for them. And then that incredible joy, if God does answer that prayer, and you see them then walk for the Lord. That's what this is. It's a full life with having a clean conscience. Right? Being able to walk downtown and go, "Uh uh-oh, if somebody sees me, (laughs) This could be bad. It's this idea of, having, of walking cleanly. It's this idea of having a great marriage. It's this idea of paying your bills on time. That, that, that peace of mind that comes from God and that peace of mind that comes from doing what's right. It's a peace of mind of not looking at people as objects for your own good, but looking at them as being made in the image of God and loving them for who they are. That's what this life looks like. That's what you get. You get that when you pursue righteousness and love. You get this fullness of life in all gamuts. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't, this isn't something that happens overnight. This is something that has to be cultivated. So if you start this and you come back to me two months later and say, Caleb, you lied because guess what? There's a lot of things that, that didn't happen to me when I pursued this. I will tell you, you haven't tried it long enough. This is something that takes a long time. Now notice there's another one. Notice the next one. Righteousness. That's the next thing that you'll find. Now maybe some of your translations will translate this word righteousness into bounty. So some people think that what will happen is that you'll get physical prosperity. Now that may be the case in the Old Testament that if you were righteous, you would get physical prosperity, right? Deuteronomy 30. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say, let's just let Solomon's words say what Solomon said. Solomon said, if you seek righteousness, you will find righteousness. Got to be honest. That is far greater than any amount of money. Right? To find that righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, I'd give up everything I own. Forty times. million times to have that type of thing. Right? To, to have a life that's right with the Lord, yielding to the power of the Spirit, that's what I want. I want that. Pff, I don't need a new guitar. Well, I always need a new guitar. Let's not, let's not burn that bridge too quickly. Um, I don't need a harmonica. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes. No, I, I don't need things. I have Jesus, and that's enough. That's enough. Take away all my guitars. As long as I still have Jesus, I'll be mad at you, but I have Jesus. You don't need that stuff, right? Jesus is the pinnacle, right? Jesus is life. And and that righteousness that comes from him, that being imputed with the righteousness of Christ, knowing that it comes from him, the righteousness that comes by yielding to the power of the Spirit, being obedient to his word, that is an incredible reward. You seek the Lord you will find him and all of those benefits of that righteous life that come with it. A wise person sees that as the ultimate goal. I watched a, a, one of those reality TV shows, and it was about, and it's titled Selling Sunshine. It's about these people who sell houses that are worth more money than you and I will ever see in our lifetime. One house is up for $60 million, and it's about the people who are the real estate behind it. Now, there's nothing wrong with a nice house, and uh, $60 million and some of that place is its a very beautiful home. But every single time that they talk to a client and every single time that they talk to themselves in the midst of the show, it is all about how much can I get, how much can I have, how much, how much can I show off. In fact, one of the sales pitch that they used that a person spent 50 million dollars was if you buy this house your neighbors will have house envy and they said that's worth the price a wise person doesn't think like that a wise person doesn't see that as a goal if you give me a 60 million dollar house that's great but it doesn't matter that's not what my life's about my life is about the lord about righteousness about living for him, about being right for him. That's, that's it. House, no house. Food, no food. Water, no water. That, that, all that's icing on the cake if I have Jesus. That, that's how a wise person thinks. And then notice this next one. Notice the next one is honor. You will receive honor. Of course you will have honor in the community. I think honest people are always... Respected, I think hard workers are always respected. I think people who are, who, who are loving and gracious are always respected. Of course you'll get that in the community. Of course people will, will trust you, and they, they will do things, and they will say things to you. They will ask for your help. They will entrust you with more and more things because you're trustworthy. That's great. That's a great reputation. And our church should have that reputation in the community. We should be known as the type of people that are trustworthy. That you can, you can leave your expensive things with, the, with Lewis and Clark Bible Church from the people here, and we will not rip, it, rip you off. We will not steal from you. We should have that reputation, right? We should have a reputation of being good business people. We should have a good reputation as being good customers, of course. And that, that's a very honorable thing. But once again, i, I got to think theologically here. Doesn't the Lord honor those who are obedient? No, I'm not. I'm not trying to, disraise, to, to uh, erase grace. I realize that I am. God looks at me favorably based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. But as His child, doesn't He doesn't He reward obedience even as His even as His children? Isn't there, Doesn't that happen? Do, doesn't it happen that He is for us as believers? Remember in the seven churches, uh, that that one one church, the church of Philadelphia that was very weak, suffered a lot of persecution from the synagogue of Satan, and they remained faithful. Remember what the Lord said? He said, I'm going to set before you a ministry that no one can shut, and I'm going to make those people who persecuted you come to your feet, and they will announce that, that you were right and that they were wrong. And speaks of all of this incredible honor because of the faithfulness of that little church. Now, I'm not saying that we earn our salvation by merit. I'm talking about after salvation, in the midst of sanctification, as we live our lives for the Lord, doesn't a good father reward good behavior? And doesn't our heavenly father do that in ways that far surpass any earthly father? So this honor, of course, is a good reputation in the community. That's incredible. But won't it also be that those who are faithful in life and in death to the Lord Jesus Christ may hear from our Savior, Well done, my good and faithful servant? Could you imagine that honor? I can't imagine a greater honor. Or the great honor of receiving rewards from Jesus Christ that we're just going to throw right back at his feet? Doesn't that happen to the faithful believer? Of course it does. That's what you receive. That's part of the benefit package of seeking. You seek one thing and you find all of this other stuff. This is, this is what the wise is about. Seeking righteousness in life. And remember last week when we talked about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. This second part of the finding is all of these things that are added. So, like I said, I, I really like those. Really like Bigfoot. There's a TV show called Finding Bigfoot. Don't know if you've watched it. It's kind of funny because I don't think there is a Bigfoot, but they're looking for him, and they do it with great enthusiasm. In fact, I've never heard a Bigfoot in the in the wild before, but they can tell you all of the vocalizations of a Bigfoot. They do them in the show. I know. I've listened to it. And I've even downloaded some of those onto my electronic coyote collar. And when we're sitting at a coyote stand, we've even done a couple of those uh, Bigfoot calls just to see if a Bigfoot would come in. Didn't come in. They only did 100 episodes of that show called Finding Bigfoot. The finale was really sad. <laughs> they were in the last place, they'd run out of funding was their last episode. They knew it was their last episode. It was the last night. They're on a, they're on a mountaintop. They're all looking at each other through these heat-sensing sec- cameras, Given the last call, and they turn to each other and say, that's it. We didn't find Bigfoot. The show called Finding Bigfoot ends with the sentence, we didn't find him. There was all this time all this energy, pursuing something that seemed fantastic, and they didn't find it. In the Christian life, we get more than a hundred episodes. Maybe. But I guarantee you this. You search and you look for this. You won't be left on the top of the hill going, well, we didn't find it. We didn't find him. We didn't find life. We didn't find righteousness. No, the pursuit of righteousness and love pursuit of Christ through the scriptures, will result in finding Christ. And it will, find, it will result in finding Christ and getting to know Christ more and more and more. And the benefits of that will increase more and more and more. We're not some Bigfoot hunter that'll never find a creature that doesn't exist. We are Christians, and we have found Christ. We will continue to search Christ and know him more. And we will find these benefits that are promised to us. If not in this life, then the next. Amen. May the Lord give us the will and ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. We're so very thankful for your Word. We're so very thankful that you have allowed us to be a part of a church that we can look for you that we can find you that we can get to know you more and more and father if that was just it that would be far worth the search but then you lavish upon us all of these gracious gifts and these gracious rewards you you lavish upon us and lavish and lavish it's too much And yet you give it so freely. Father, we ask that you will help us pursue righteousness and love. That we would seek you to do your will. And that we would love one another as Christ has loved us. We're so very thankful for everything you've blessed us with. In your son's name, amen.